Mark 4, 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Hear the word of the Lord. I've never been around life situations in ministry that altered people's lives like these months and working on now two years of COVID-19. People are really afraid in a way that I have not sensed their fear before this. We all have new thoughts now in the moment and have grown to have new habits of life. Actually, those habits of life have made ministry in the middle of COVID a little more difficult. But we have new thoughts. Now, my wife has long told me, um, Eric, you have no personal space and you are unconscious to that. She said, I've watched for years. You'll talk to somebody and they'll just they'll be backing up and you just walk right into, you know. So I don't have I'm just not conscious of personal space. I hope I haven't been rude to you. It's of no consolation to you to know that I'm totally unconscious to it. But anyway, I'll be talking to somebody in COVID, and uh, then I'll feel their breath. And then the, my next thought is, oh, there's a little tinge in my throat. <laughs> and I realize I could be a freak of nature and be a one-off, and everybody's, what? I never had any thinking like that. But, you know, then I'll think, oh, man, I just suck some. COVID spores right down my throat. You know, where's the oximeter? I ought to stick it on my finger because I know, you know, that the next thing my numbers are going to be going in the ditch. And you think, and then, then I'll snap out and think, what in the world kind of a thought is that? But, you know, I, I'm, I'm conscious now of how other people breathe. Probably, and, and maybe Andy would argue it's only two centimeters, but, you know, I have just a little more personal distance than I, uh, than I had before. People are anxious. Life feels different. You with me have watched others face a tough emotional two years because of COVID. Moments of high anxiety. This moment feels threatening in a different kind of a way. People have died. COVID makes us feel our mortality. It doesn't feel very well. By now... All of us know at least one person or someone who knows a person who has died from COVID. It's a little bit of a tough cocktail. 
Number one, there are people who are harboring fears. You put on top of that the general anxiety of this whole thing. Where is this going? What is this? And you throw in that feeling the texture of our mortality. You get fear, anxiety, and mortality stirred up in a jar and take a big draw of that and it'll mess with your mind and how you live and what's going on in your spirit. This whole circumstance has revealed a lot about everything. COVID has revealed a lot about governance. COVID has revealed a lot about the medical community. And then there's been the politicization of everything. And so now, uh, you know, how, how the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, was viewed in 2017 is completely different than how the Centers for Disease Control is viewed in 2021. The wonderful professionals populating the National Institute of Health uh, are now looked in a way that before COVID, they were, they appeared. Uh, now, I don't mean to in this message, um, and please listen clear through. I, I, we have physicians here at our church who are joyfully serving Jesus and wonderful careers and uh, faculty in the sciences and training nurses and nurses. And I love medical people. Just don't turn me off. Stay clear through this because we're going to come back to that. But it's just an incredible moment. COVID has revealed a lot about what our society has trusted in and where we will find our confidence and where we will get our hope. But the wonder of this tough circumstance is that COVID has actually revealed a lot about us and our hearts and who we are. The wonder of a tough experience is it really can reveal a lot about God. How are you doing in the middle of this? How is our faith? Could I say with Jesus, why are we afraid? And that brings us to Mark chapter 4. Life teaches us about us. And I want to ask the question this morning and give three answers. What has COVID revealed about us, about me, and about you. And I think it has revealed three things. Let's consider them this morning. Number one, we are small and God is big. That's one of the things that COVID has revealed. Now, this first point is what the wise among us have known all along. We are small and God is big. But now there are alternative views of reality that go in other directions. There are some who believe that we are big and God is small. There are others who believe we are big and God doesn't exist. But from the word of God, we come to understand and we come to understand through this experience of COVID that we are small and God is big. Now, let me discuss two factors underneath this first point. Factor number one, 
We are helpless before the forces of nature. We are actually helpless before the forces of nature. Look at verse 37. Here's how Mark describes the storm. And a great, he uses an adjective, a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. It's been fascinating to be in this COVID-19 moment. It's a moment like no other in our lives. Even the most vital and long-living among us, I don't believe, were around when Calvary Baptist Church got its start in the middle of the Spanish flu in 1920. And that may be the last time we've had a circumstance like this. What's interesting, and it's a little unnerving, is it feels like, it feels as if we're making this up as we go along. That we're figuring it out in real time and how to respond. Clinical therapies, treatments, in the last two years, they've changed. New stuff has been tried. Now, this happens in medicine all the time, but it's out there in front of us. This is called the novel coronavirus. COVID-19. The coronavirus has been around since 1961 in various forms. SARS was related to it in the respiratory issue that broke out in China, then came west, came east from China to us years ago. But it seems interesting that, and of note, that we are helpless against forces of nature. You throw in uh, the whole research structure at the National Institutes of Health uh, being now discussed, uh, varying statements, varying temperaments of leadership at the CDC. But one thing that's clear from this story is that some forces in nature to which we are exposed we are helpless to face them. Take a tornado, a super bad storm. When I was in high school, I remember it as my freshman year in the fall, kind of a bad, weird storm atmosphere that ended cross-country practice, then I went home. Two F4 tornadoes came together at once in a community about 16 miles away in Xenia, Ohio, and just took down everything in its path in an amazing way. It was for many years considered the worst tornadic activity ever. But I want you to know the best constructed building was no match for the forces of nature. And it's important for us to realize that we are helpless before the forces of nature. I hate cancer. I had a buddy, he was a radiological oncologist in a centralized special cancer treatment place. I said, Brian, what, what do you do? And he was kind of a no-nonsense, also a joyful Christian, but he, he told me, well, Eric, I spend most of my time sitting down with families, helping them understand the severity of the issue that they are facing and what's ahead, and many times it's death. In particular, would 
kind of specialized would be the wrong kind of word, but he, he, he worked with uh, brain tumors of a particular kind. I remember the name is geoblastoma, which just a really tough diagnosis. I've had some very dear friends go down with uh, pancreatic cancer, even as uh, we celebrated uh, a few weeks ago, Barry, you know, the Lord helping him, him through it. And, uh, but there are some forces that we face that are just bigger than us. We are helpless before the forces of nature. The disciples realize that in this story. The second factor under this first point is Jesus Christ is sovereign over the forces of nature. Verse 39, they woke him up. What was his response to the forces of nature? He rebukes the wind and, this, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And it was over. The Sea of Galilee is five miles across. It's like a little bowl with mountains around it. They're, not, they're more Appalachian mountains than they are Bitterroot Mountains, the Rocky Mountains. But the wind will blow across the top of the mountain and storms can come up and, and it makes the storms worse because of the topography. It's only five miles across. These are veteran fishermen, but they take off across and immediately run into a storm. By all standards of measure, COVID has been a storm. The elements come against the boat. Three things are described. First, it is described as wind. But it's not just wind. It's great wind. He puts an adjective there. Then it's waves into the boat. So the boat's taking on water. And worse than that, the boat quickly feels. This is a bona fide, genuine desperate situation. But please note, this is very important, the situation wasn't sovereign. The situation wasn't out of control. The sovereign one was asleep in the boat. Now, there, we even have an English phrase, he was sleeping on the job. Now, that's an insult. That means a responsible person who should have been alert to what's going on, was sleeping at the wheel. They were not alert. They were not conscious. It was beyond them. They were missing the moment. Jesus Christ was not missing the moment. This is another kind of sleep. And this is extraordinary, really. This is both the sleep of exhaustion. He'd been teaching all day. Remember, it starts in chapter 4 and verse 1, and he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd is there. He has to get in the boat. He teaches, and then he says, let's go over to the other side. Let's go over to the other side. He was sleeping at rest in his heavenly Father's care on this earthly errand to save Adam's or lost humanity. And so he's sleeping. By the way, this is a, just a sidebar note. I love the fact that Jesus was tired. Are you tired this morning? Jesus gets tired. He understands what it means to be 
tired. He's touched in all points as we are. Here we have the infinite, eternal God, fully God, fully man, inseparably united in one person, and in his humanity, he got tired. If you're tired this morning, Jesus gets it. He went to sleep because he was exhausted. We get exhausted in life, and Jesus understands. But they wake him up, and he demonstrates in the self-same person, undiminished. He demonstrates that he's God, this one who in his humanity was tired. He stands up, the one who created everything it is, the wind, the sea, the waves, peace. Be still. Wow. Now, what are you facing? We can't assemble like this with people facing stuff. Here's the great news of the New Testament. Whatever it is, Jesus Christ is bigger. Whatever it is, Jesus Christ is bigger. Let that recognition wave over you this morning. Jesus is bigger. We are small, and God is big. Secondly, we can displace our hope. Displace is a term that means take over the place, position, or role of something. In the middle of COVID, for many of us, our hope has been dethroned. Our hope has been displaced or replaced. Now let's talk about two realities here. Both are important, and it's really important for you, especially if you're in the sciences, to listen to the first one. It's this, science is not omniscient nor omnipotent. Science is not omniscient nor omnipotent. In this day where we're being told, trust the science, it's important for all of us to understand. And this is not an anti-medicine diatribe. This is not a let's go to alternative method. Let's just think 30,000 feet wise. Science is not omniscient nor omnipotent. In 1985, I started visiting in the hospital, and I love hospital ministry. Um, and I, I've really enjoyed it through the years. And i just a curious George, fascinated with all the technology, all how it's used, with the brilliance of the doctors. I, I've been around some extraordinary professionals. Unbelievable. I remember I had a guy who had a debilitating heart attack, and he just killed his heart in the middle of the heart attack, but they kept him alive. And then uh, a guy invented an extra, they're more common now than they used to be. An exterior ventricular device, Dr. Benjamin Sun. He was at then at the Ohio State University, and so they sustained this guy's life until he got a heart transplant with an exterior ventricular device. So you could hear his heart clicking as this device in front of him that was pushing. It was just amazing. And what, how God uses in his common grace uh, and in his special grace people with gifts that do this extraordinary stuff. It's it's. It's unbelievable. But I began to think when I went in the hospital, you know what? There's no objective science like medicine. We gather data through tests, as it were, stick the data into a computer or somebody's great mind, and ipso facto, we understand exactly what is going on in the body, and we got this whole thing, and we understand everything. That's what I thought. The more I have been in the hospital, the more I'm convinced that medicine is a practice, and 
Um, we're able to discern symptoms and have a lot of great observation about clinical histories and treatments. And we try to work backwards, deducing from the symptoms what's going on, and we treat it. And if the symptoms are resolved, then we say, well, that was what was going on, and, and, and we do it. It's a lot less of an exacting science than I thought. My friend was with a real high-octane nephrologist, a kidney doctor, and he was giving this great speech about the kidney at some medical school at IU, and he was going to uh, take him on the errand. And he says, all right, tell me everything you know about the kidney. And my friend, not unlike me, just a curious George and thought this would be an interesting conversation. He said, okay, let's start here. We know less about why the kidney does what it does than the small part of the kidney function that we actually understand in its function, which is a way of saying if there's 100% to understand about the kidney, we understand about 24% of why the kidney does what it does, need the 100%, but have no idea in the other area. And my friend was stunned. Because, you know, we have these assumptions. Hey, I'll just go to the doctor. He'll figure it out. And God be praised for wonderful physicians, even from our church, who have great ministry through the practice of medicine. It's not all objective. And I want you to know that medicine is not omniscient or omnipowerful. The University of Cincinnati Health has one of the greatest medical systems in our area and there are other great systems several we're blessed you need something done you kind of have to well, which good place should i go get it done but you know the jingle with me we hear it in the commercial in science lives hope how i thank god for medical advances but i want you to know in the face of some issues we face there's no hope in science, but we can still have hope. COVID has reminded us that science and medicine are not omni-solving of everything. Now, the second reality is trust in Jesus Christ is the solution to the problems beyond our control. Now, this is early in Mark's narrative, and the word still, that, or, or yet, that shows up uh, still, in verse 40, is really important. Have you still no faith? Jesus says, you've been with me for these. In Mark, it's four chapters so far. You've been with me for, for this long, and, and, and you don't believe yet? You see, early in Mark, the disciples develop a default mode, and it's a wonderful one. As we run into brokenness in life, We'll just bring it to Jesus, and he'll solve it. So they get in the middle of this storm, and it's not your garden variety average storm. It's a whopper. Great wind, not just wind. Waves coming into the boat. Boat sinking. That's a whopper. What do we do? Their default was, hey, we're going to wake Jesus up, and he's going to take care of it. But wow, did they overpunt their coverage. They were astonished at what he did. It was one of these exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all that we could imagine. Because in the midst of the most threatening time, they came to Jesus Christ and he stood up, the maker of heaven and earth, incarnate in Jesus and said, peace, be still. And a churning cauldron that looked like death to them in the next moment was Lake Placid. 
And they were stunned. And they looked at each other and said, Who in the world is this? Now let's give them half credit. At least they were asking the right question. Because it is in discerning the identity of the sufficiency of this Jesus Christ that you and I can have peace even in the midst of circumstances that are ripping us apart along with the boat craft that we are on. Those two questions must have been hard to receive in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Where have you still no faith? Christ read their hearts and he reads ours. It's a simple but important question for us this morning. Are we trusting Christ or not? Or is our hope and the security of our net worth, the stability of a high stock market, normal health, our kids all in good places, and everything being tranquil professionally and personally, then we're okay. Or is our hope singularly in Jesus Christ, our sufficient Lord? That's what he's teaching his disciples. Third, third point, what has COVID revealed about us? We are small, God is big, we can displace our hope. Finally, we can misread our hearts and our God. And there's nothing like a life circumstance to bring clarity and help us. You've heard it said, adversity makes a man. I don't believe that. Adversity reveals what kind of man is that is. Two things going on in our story. First, God uses chaos to reveal our, our hearts to us. Please don't miss the fact that our thoughts of doom can be greatly exaggerated. What were the two things going on in the minds of the disciples? Number one, they concluded Jesus doesn't care. Number two, they concluded, we are going to die. We're all perishing. By the way, they only missed two questions on that exam. The first one and the second one. Do you not care, Jesus, wake up, that we are perishing? Now, lest we be too hard on them, when we get involved in a broken circumstance in this world that's shaking, waiting to be redeemed, it's easy for Satan to take us over in a corner and say, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't care. And you're going to die. And we start getting these dark thoughts. By the way, do you have Chicken Little's Ph.D.? It's actually not a Ph.D., it's a W.C.S. It's a postgraduate degree in conceiving of the worst W, case, C, scenario, S. Can you imagine the worst? The disciples did. Jesus doesn't care and we're going to die. There's an old gospel song, Does Jesus Care?, 
it, it, it asks the rhetorical question through the verses and then gets to the chorus. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. The disciples were singing that at, after they got off the boat because of what they'd learned about who Jesus is. And isn't it true that many of us can sing that because of what God has taken us through? Or you may be in the midst of the, the soup right now. I want you to know that he cares. The second thing going on in the story is the realization that Jesus Christ protects his own and uses chaos to reveal himself to his children. Verse 35, why in the world did they go across the lake? Because Jesus told them to go across the lake. Jesus led them right into what they would face. Oh, Eric, the world must be out of control. I sure wish God had a hold of the helm. I think Satan went in the driver's room and took over the steering wheel. No, that's not the case. Jesus rules. Now, by the way, one very basic truth that's really important, if you don't get anything else, verse 38, don't miss who was sharing the boat with the disciples in the middle of the storm. It was Jesus. You say, Eric, I'm not in a good place this morning. If I'd let myself, I could sit here on this church pew and I could cry about my circumstances. I'm hurting. I'm afraid. It's uncertain. I'm in a threatening circumstance. I don't know what the future is going to look like. I want you to know that Jesus, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus Christ is in the boat with you. And he's one who is able. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If he's not in your boat, I understand your fear. If he's not in your boat, I understand why death is so foreboding. But rather than give in to despair, why not invite Jesus Christ into your life? Your sin is an obstacle, so is mine. But God dismantled our sin on Good Friday. The curse came and we're all going to die. I'm going to die too. But Jesus was raised from the dead and promises everyone who repents, turns away from their sin and believes in Christ can come to have eternal life in this hope and live with this hope and die with that hope. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Has God brought you here this morning? Wouldn't we all remember it? Thanksgiving week 2021. Has God brought you here this morning and is he opening your heart? Do you need to pray with somebody before you leave this morning as you would come to him? But don't miss this, verse 41. It's possible to be in and around Jesus and not know who Jesus is. You say, the disciples hung around Jesus. Well, Eric, so do I. You know, I, I hang around some services over there at Calvary and have some friends who follow Jesus. That's great. We love having you around. But you can be in and around Jesus and not know who he is because you get to verse 41. And the disciples say, who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. 
What's interesting is we learn about God in the middle of a crisis in a way that we would not know of him if it were not for the crisis. So ought we not pray, Lord, bring them on and be in our boat with us and show us yourself? Have you heard him say, peace, be still in the midst of your crisis? That's all it took, verse 39. Do you need to hear that this morning? God is in your chaos you drive north on 75 out of Dayton, Ohio, and head to Detroit, you'll get to Lima, Ohio. You get the United States Plastic Corporation emblazoned on the side right next to I-75. You've probably seen it before. It's on the west side if you're going north. Christ is the answer. Say, oh, Eric, that's good. Yeah, it is good. But that's providing the answer without the question. The world's actually asking a different question. Why is Jesus the answer? This story from Mark 4 drives home the force of why. He is our creator. He is the sovereign one. He is present to help. He is the able one. And because he is so, you and I can have peace and life in the midst of the turmoil that we face. We can push back against anxiety and fear. Even in the threat of death and its chaos, we can have peace in our spirit because in knowing Jesus, we have hope. One of the most delightful six months of ministry that I've had in pastoral ministry was the six months after September the 11th, 2001. Suddenly, people decided they wanted to come and hear what God said at church. The church was full. And what was better than a full church was the number of people who, upon hearing about Jesus Christ, opened their hearts to him, invited him in, and they began with Jesus. It was glorious. Twenty years later, we're facing another crisis. It's of a different sort. And one of the problems with this crisis is all the health stuff. So everybody, rather than gathering, is not gathering. But I also think the temperament of our age has changed as well. And we have less of a default as a culture. Well, you know, maybe we ought to go to church. I think we've kind of blown by that. But there's nothing that has changed about the sufficiency of Jesus and I want us to grow in such implicit trust of him that we'd be like that uh, prophet of old, Elisha, who when he was surrounded and his servant got so anxious and fearful and came in and said, oh, Elisha, my father, they've surrounded us. And he was in there sleeping in the tent. And he just stopped for a short prayer and said, Lord, help him to see what's really going on. Because surrounding that army was the armies of God. And Elisha's implicit confidence in God gave him strength to take the next steps in the crisis. And so it does for everyone, holding on to a sufficient Lord, Jesus Christ.
Now, Father, it's easy to preach and it's harder to live. But we this morning give you our anxieties, give you our fears, and gladly confess that we are small and you are big. And gladly note that we are in desperate need of you and grateful that you are available to us. Who is this? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, our sweet Lord, who reigns over heaven and earth and every one of our circumstances and who, if we know Jesus as Savior, who's in our boat. And so, Lord, on this very week, encourage your people who are downtrodden. Encourage your people who are fearful. Swallow up their anxieties and just show them yourself and let them hear your voice. Peace. Be still. Thank you for being such an adequate Lord. Reign over our lives in the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, I pray. Amen.